well, good morning, Southview. How are we? All right, as everyone is still continuing to make their way in, I want to go ahead and get us started. If you are a guest with us today, welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor, the pastor here at Southview, and it's so good to have you with us here today. Uh, if you are a guest, I would love for you, right now at this very second, the best way for you to connect with us is to pull out your cell phone and text the word CONNECT. C-O-N-N-E-C-T, just text CONNECT to 910-424-1298, just do it right now. We'll send you a link, tap on that, answer a couple of quick questions. It's just so we can know who you are, that you're here, how we can minister to you, pray for you in the best way possible. But we would love to do that because we are so honored that you're here and a part of us and we want to just minister to you in the best way that we can. But for all of us here today, have our three big announcements. So every week we do our big three Big three things you need to know uh, to get connected and plugged in to what's happening here at Southview. Big thing number one is this. Next Sunday is July 4th. Yes, it's going to be a great, great, great weekend. But with that, we understand it is a busy travel weekend. There are a lot of people who are going to be gone. So for us, we're going to have one service at 11 o'clock. All right, so if you're here, great. Just come back here, okay? 11 o'clock next Sunday, one service. However, remember, no child care next Sunday, no youth journey group at 9.30, no adult journey groups throughout the day. All we're doing next Sunday is everybody in this room at 11 o'clock, all right? So that's next Sunday, 11 o'clock, one service for July 4th right here. Uh, on our Independence Day, we're going to be talking about our dependence on Christ. So come and be a part of that next Sunday 11 o'clock. Coming off the heels of that, we've got our summer new member process. So about four times a year, we offer new member classes for people to jump in and be a part of uh, covenant membership here at Southview. The way you do that is by signing up for the class. You can do that by texting MEMBER to 910-424-1298. It runs for three consecutive weeks. You gotta, it's three parts. You've got to be there for all the weeks, 11th, 18th, and 25th. It meets during the 9.30 time in one of our classes here. So you can sign up. We'll get you all the pertinent information, when, where, and all of that. Uh, but if you're interested in signing up for membership at Southview, just text MEMBER to 910-424-1298, and we'll get you plugged into the class and ready to go. And last announcement is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we believe the way Christianity works is it's not just that we believe certain things, but when we believe by faith in Jesus, Galatians 2.20 says that he literally comes and lives inside of us, and the life that we now live, we live by faith in Jesus. So in other words, whoever Jesus is, now that is lived out in us. So specifically, Jesus is the great servant. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve. He served us through his death on the cross, and then he, by faith in him, empowers us to be servants as well. So, we believe that every member of Southview Baptist Church is called by God to serve. We believe that you are gifted to serve, you are empowered by God to serve, and you are called out to serve. So, we want you serving. So, if you're not serving in any particular capacity here at Southview yet, we want you to text the word serve. To 910-424-1298. You're going to get a link. Again, tap on that. It's going to give you a whole list of options for you, okay? Ways that you can serve to be a part of the ministry here at Southview using your gifts, your ability 
to uh, bless the people of God and further the kingdom right here in the ministry of Southview Baptist Church. So if you're not serving in any way, we, hurt, we highly encourage you to do that, all right? Text SERVE to 910-424-1298 so you can get plugged in and find the opportunities to serve here at Southview. And for all of our other announcements, download the app. You can download the Southview Baptist Church app at Google Play or iTunes. That's how you're going to find out all the announcements. Find a journey group. Give online. We encourage you to give financially. We encourage you to do that online. You do that through the app. Uh, we also, through that, you can, um, again, sign up for other things, find previous sermons, sermon notes, all that sort of stuff through the app. So download that so you can stay plugged in and connected. But for us today, I want to read a scripture to us as we begin our time together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 in our sermon. And as we begin this today, worshiping the Lord, I want to read for you Acts 13, verse 2. So the leadership of the church in Antioch, they're gathered together. And they're doing something. Look at this. Acts 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Now, we're going to talk about that second part in just a little while. But I want to focus for us here this morning on the first part. While they were worshiping the Lord. As we gather here this morning, our first priority in all of life is to worship God. And worship doesn't just mean singing. That's an aspect of worship. But worship is about the heart, not the lips. Worship is about you setting God above all things in your life. He is your highest love, your highest affections, your highest desires, your highest hopes and dreams. All flow through Him. So I want to encourage us this morning. Just like that church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. They gathered together and they worshiped. We here this morning, we gather together and we worship. So I want to encourage you this morning to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us. And I want to pray specifically in that I know for many of us our minds can get caught up in so many other things. If you have a family, you are busy rushing to get here this morning. Maybe you have things on your mind from work. Maybe you got a busy week coming up. Maybe we're the last thing between you and your vacation. I want to encourage us this morning, though, to stop for a second, and let's set all of that aside. Worship is about setting our heart, our affections, our desires, our thoughts on God and lifting Him up the most glorious, amazing, only one who is truly worthy. So right now, clear your heart and clear your mind. Let's set our affections, our thoughts on God. Lord, I pray for us here this morning as we come together. God, that just like they did in Acts 13, we'll do here, we'll worship you. And as we're worshiping you, you're going to speak to us and minister to us and, and tell us to do things. And by your grace, God, we're going to obey and do them. But I pray, God, we start first here. We have to worship you. So I pray, God, that we set our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our affections right here at this moment, collectively as a group, just on you. We ask you, God, that you would minister to us today for your glory. 
fill us with your spirit. Embolden us as we sing. But let, more importantly, again, more than our lips, let our hearts, God, be lifted up to you. Do this in us, Jesus, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning, church. Stand with us. Let's celebrate the freedom we have in Christ together. Let's sing. I was buried beneath my shade.
Come Thou Fount, one of my absolute favorite hymns, just singing of how how glorious and amazing God is, just pointing to the fact that He is the 
fountain of all good blessings, how everything flows from Him. And as we think about that, uh, that's something that really drives us in our prayers. And so we want to take some time here this morning and, and spend some time praying together. So we do this every Sunday. We try to spend some time corporately praying together. We do this for a couple of reasons. One, the Bible is clear that there's power in us praying together. There's something that happens there that's significant. Um, and then second, it's a chance to teach us, one another. As we hear prayer and as we're encouraged in prayer, we learn how to pray. So, uh, so it's a chance for us to do that. And, and one of the things I want to focus on today in prayer is the significance and importance of us praying for one another. In 1 Thessalonians 5.25, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers, pray for us. I think it's significant. You've got a guy, Paul. He is, I mean, if there's ever a guy that's super Christian, it's Paul, right? I mean, if, if you wrote the majority of the New Testament, I mean, God loves us all the same, but that guy's a different level. Can we just agree on that, right? I mean, he's taking up to a third heaven and seeing things. He's, that didn't happen to me. Um, but even a guy like Paul, he knows, I need people praying for me. I can't do what God's called me to do unless the brothers and sisters in Christ are praying for me. God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. And at the exact same time, he has sovereignly set it up in a way where he accomplishes what he wants to accomplish through the prayers of his people. So we must pray for one another. So I want to take some time this morning focusing in on that, us praying for one another, you praying for someone, and then you asking someone to pray for you. Oftentimes I, I, I hear people say that they don't ever ask people to pray for them because, you know, it's viewed as prideful or arrogant or humbleness is not asking people to pray for me. Or I know there are people with bigger things going on, so I don't want to share anything that, that I may have a need for. And I want to encourage you, if that's a thought process that you have, um, God really does want you to ask people to pray for you. That's a, that's a good thing. That's not, that's not a sign of pride or arrogance or neediness. That's just the body being the body. So I want to encourage you to, to allow people to minister to you in that way. And as you become aware of others and their need for prayer, lift them up. Pray for them. So I want to give you two to be thinking on specifically that we're going to be praying for this morning. One is uh, Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve is our discipleship pastor here at Southview. Uh, if you're not aware, Pastor Steve several months ago was diagnosed with cancer, went through treatments, um, and has now this week gone through surgery. Uh, that has gone well, really remarkably well. According to the surgeon, he can't find any cancer in uh, his body. So apparently, praise the Lord, yes. So as of right now, it seems that he is cancer-free, so praise God for that, right? But he is going through the recovery process for the surgery. Um, that is going well, uh, by God's grace. The plan is for him to come home tomorrow, so that's wonderful. Uh, but I know he would greatly appreciate your prayers. He would covet them. And so uh, we want to pray for Pastor Steve that he would continue to improve, continue to uh, be healed, and that he would be strengthened in the Lord. Uh, another that I just want to bring to your attention to be praying for, uh, Roy Chasen. Roy, longtime member here at Southview, has served for a long time as a deacon, as a journey group leader, numerous other capacities here at our church. 
Uh, about a year ago, uh, a tumor was detected, uh, and uh, he went in for surgery for that with the understanding that just about a couple of weeks he should come home and, and start that recouping process, and it has just not gone that way. Um, we're creeping up on a year now where he's either been in the hospital or in some kind of rehab facility. Um, and so we want to take some time to pray for Roy. We have noticed over the last week some positive shifts uh, in, in him, and so that's a good thing. So we want to praise God for that and ask God that he gives us more of those. So those are two specifically that you can be praying for. But I know that probably in this room there are people on your hearts that you want to be praying for. So I want to give us just a minute. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray here in a minute. And I want everybody in this room to pray for someone other than themselves. All right? Whether that's the couple that I mentioned, uh, Steve or Roy, or someone else on your heart that you're praying for. I want to encourage all of us. Let's take just a minute and let's apply 1 Thessalonians 5.25. Let's pray for one another. Let's call out to the Lord asking God that he would be gracious and kind and do wonderful things for his glory in the lives of those that we know and love. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And uh, ball's in your court, your turn. You pray. Who is it that God has laid on your heart? Whether it's someone in this room, someone that I've mentioned, or someone else. Let's just take a few minutes and lift these requests up to God. just thank you. I thank you for the gift of prayer. I thank you that we get the privilege of praying. I pray, Lord, for everyone in this room. God, that we would just get a small glimpse right here this morning of the power and significance of our prayers. I ask you, Lord, that we would pray for people way more than we try to talk to them. I pray, God, that we would pray for people way more than we try to lecture them or tell them what to do. God, God, as we are lifting them up to you, you are moving in their heart. Holy Spirit, you are telling them what to do. You are convicting them of sin. So I pray, God, that we would seek to pray for one another significantly more than we do. I pray, God, for the people here in this room that you would stir in us an understanding of how important it is to ask others to pray for us how we're giving them an opportunity to minister to us, how we are humbling ourselves before you when we do that, and we are opening ourselves up for you to do great things in us as we are opening the door for the prayers of others to be poured into our lives. And I pray specifically for, for Steve and for Roy. I pray, God, for Steve that you would allow strength to rise up in him. I pray, God, right now at this moment that he literally physically feels the prayers of the saints and that he is encouraged and strengthened by your grace. I pray, God, for Roy that you would allow 
more improvement to come. I pray, God, for a full, total, complete, absolute healing of him in his body, in his mind. I pray, God, for just a total 100% restoration. We ask you, God, that you would do this. And I, just how great is it, God, that we get to pray and that we get to see answers to prayer and glorify you in that. So I pray, Lord, that's exactly what will happen for your glory. Thank you, God. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Acts chapter 11 and 13. We're going to be in both. They're probably just a page or two apart from one another in your Bible, but be mindful of both. We're going to hit them. Acts 11 and 13. So we took a little break last week for Father's Day, but other than that, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at a church in Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch. And what we've seen is um, some Jewish Christians came into Antioch, began to share the gospel with non-Jewish people, Gentiles. They started getting saved. A church was formed in Antioch. And, and this church in Antioch eventually becomes one of the most significant, important churches in the history of Christianity. And so what we're doing is looking at this church, seeing what happened in them, what's going on in them, what we learned from that, what God is saying to us in his word, and then how do we apply that in our own lives and in our own church. So as we looked at the church at Antioch, we saw three big things, all right? That's what we're kind of working through, three big ideas. Number one, they were intentional about seeing disciples made in their own city. Right? So they were serious and intentional about seeing disciples made in their own city. They were serious and intentional about seeing disciples made throughout the world. And that all of that was possible only because the hand of God was on them. All right? So we started first talking about that last point. They lived and ministered with the hand of the Lord upon them. And so we chatted a little bit about what that means. And so we said that as we submit ourselves to God's word, submit ourselves in prayer, we live more and more and more under submission ourselves to God. We live under the hand of God and we receive from him his, his blessing, his grace, his empowerment to live and minister to glorify his name. I'll give you a historical example of how that looks for a church. So in the 1720s, there was a settlement in Hernut, Germany. All right, Hernut, Germany. Uh, and this settlement in Germany was a hot dumpster fire. All right, I don't know what the German word is for dumpster fire, but that was it. It was not good. They were divisive. They were bitter. They were full of sin. Marriages were falling apart. Kids were running just crazy buck wild. It was not a good place to live. About 300 people lived in this community, and it was a German word for hot mess. But in the midst of all of that, there were 48 people, 24 men and 24 women, who began to gather together and desire more. And so these 24 men and 24 women decided that they would start praying. And so they each... 24 men and 24 women picked an hour slot during a day. And they said that they would pray for that one hour. And these 24 men and 24 women prayed around the clock for an entire day. 
And then they had prayed around the clock for a second day, and a third day, and a week, and it just kept going. Uh, the leader of that little group was a man by the name of Count Zinzendorf, which sounds like a bad guy from a Marvel movie. But Count Zinzendorf said, in the book of Leviticus, it t- teaches us that in the temple, the fire representing the presence of God should never go out. It is to be burning continuously, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. He said, in the same way, the church is the temple of God, and the flame of prayer should never, ever, ever go out in us. And so they prayed. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And what began to happen was miraculous. People started getting saved. People started repenting. Marriages started getting reconciled. Kids started coming home and, and, and honoring and respecting and obeying their parents. I mean, this thing started moving. And so they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And then more people joined and more people joined. And eventually this 24-hour prayer went from one day, one week, one month, one year. And it continued on For over 100 years, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, for over 100 years, it's known as the Moravian 100-year prayer meeting. And in that time, as they literally said, we are going to set ourselves under the hand of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week in prayer and just ask him to move as he wills. And what happened was this. Not only did their community experience a powerful revival of God, they sent out hundreds of missionaries. There were only 300 people that lived in that community. And in the first 65 years, they sent out 300 missionaries to the ends of the earth. And only 300 people lived there. But as people started moving in and, and people got married and kids were born, those kids were, were, were growing up and going out and serving as missionaries. In the first 65 years of praying nonstop, they sent out 300 missionaries. It was a phenomenal move of God, and it happened because a church said, we are going to literally change the way we do things so that we can physically set ourselves up to 100 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, sit under the hand of God. God moved. So what we see happening in Antioch. They were living and ministering under the hand of the Lord. As they did that, we saw a couple weeks ago, they seriously and intentionally sought to make disciples in their city. They did that in a couple of ways. One, by proclaiming true gospel faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. In other words... Jesus laid his life down so that you can be saved, and you must lay your life down if you're going to get saved. Salvation calls uh, calls you to something. Salvation um, causes something. Salvation costs you something, and it costs you everything. You lay down your life 100%, trust your life to Jesus Christ, and he takes over and makes you brand new. And then as that happened, they then poured in God's word to them over and over and over and over and over until they began to look more and more and more like Jesus. And then as that was happening, as they were proclaiming the gospel, people getting saved, getting God's word poured into them, becoming more and more and more like Jesus, the inevitable next thing that happened was they began to say, okay, people outside of this city need to hear about this. Right? People outside of this room need to hear about this. Let's go tell them. Which brings us to our third idea for today we're going to focus on. 
which is they were serious and intentional about seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth. So here's our big idea for today, all right? What we see happening in the church in Antioch in Acts 13, Acts 11 and 13, and what we're going to see happening in us by God's grace is this. A church should not be judged by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. A church should not be judged by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Here's what I mean by that. In the future, when it's all said and done, when we're looking back on the history of Southview Baptist Church, whether or not we were a quote-unquote success will not be determined by how many people we managed to fit into this room. It will not be determined by how much money we're able to have in our bank account. And it will not be determined by how many buildings we can put on this property. It will be determined by how many people, resources, money, time, energy, effort we sent out to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. We are not judged by how many people we can seat in this room. We are judged by how much we send out for the glory of God. And that is, and now listen, I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes trying to defend that. Because that is a culture shift. What I'm going, I, I encourage you to listen to me for the next 30 minutes or so. Because I'm going to present to you a vision of church that if you've been in church your entire life, it's entirely possible you've never heard. I'm going to present to us today what I believe is a biblical vision of a successful church. And it does not look like what many of us were told it should look like. I am not opposed to our church growing. I'm glad that you're here. I want our church to grow. If in growing, that just gives us more opportunity to send out. It is entirely possible for you to be the biggest church in town and to be a gospel failure. And that is not by God's grace who we're going to be. A church is not to be judged by its seeding capacity, but by its sending capacity. So, let's take a look at Acts, starting verse 11, and let's see. This is exactly what the church at Antioch focused on and did. All right, so let's start first in Acts 11, verse 27. All right, here's what is going on. Acts eleven twenty-seven. Now, in these days... Prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. All right, so real quick, a prophet comes down from the church in Jerusalem to the church in Antioch. They're ministering, they're teaching, they're caring for one another. In the process of that, Agabus says, God has given me a word. There's going to be a great famine. It says it happened in the days of Claudius. That is true. We know historically there was a severe famine between 46 A.D. and 48 A.D. that devastated Judea. It happened because of flooding on the Nile River, which messed up Roman um, food service and trade routes and all that sort of thing. And so there was a severe famine indeed in Judea during this time that Agabus said it was going to happen. So here's what they did as a result. Verse 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability... To send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So here's what this church in Antioch did. 
They heard that a sister church in Jerusalem was going to be in need. And so they sent them money. For Antioch, the goal wasn't... They easily could have said, well, I mean, according to Agabus, if you jump back up into 20, verse 28, it says this is going to be over all the earth. Like, this is... Now, it wasn't like... The entire, when it says all the earth, it means it, was a, it wasn't localized. It was a massive, spread-out famine. Antioch easily could have said, well, hang on. That might mean us too, right? So, let's, I mean, we need a rainy day fund. They didn't do that. They heard that another church was going to be in need, so they immediately sent money, resources, help to help them. Right? They're sending out. Just like Jerusalem sent spiritual gifts like Barnabas and Agabus to help teach and minister to the church at Antioch, when the, when the need arose, Antioch sent financial gifts over to Jerusalem to help minister to them. So the first thing you see is, as a sending church, we send money. We send money. My goal at Southview Baptist Church is that ghetto is going to be a core value for us. What I mean is, our goal, this is not an arms race, and we're not trying to have the best facility in town so we can say that we do. Now, we want to be updated. We're working on some things. Um, like, for instance, we want to get new carpet so you don't, your kids don't trip going to preschool, right? Um, so, but the goal isn't that. The goal is, we want to send out as much money as we possibly can to bless others who may never attend our church, who may never be ministered to by our church, who may never give anything back to our church. But we give because this is what it means to be sending church. We did this during the pandemic. We were on tap to do some significant renovations before the pandemic hit. And when everything went down, we immediately hit the brakes on that, pulled that back and said, we believe it would be sinful for us to spend a couple hundred grand on updating some aesthetic things in our church when there are other churches who may never open their doors back again because they can't financially afford it. That would be sin. So we're fine with going another year or two not updating if we can send some money to other churches that are in need. You guys did that. Your leadership said this is what we need to do. We're wanting to follow the example of the church in Antioch. But they didn't just send money, jump to chapter 13. They also sent people. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and it lists them. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So it lists a group here. It calls them prophets and teachers. These were the leaders of the Antioch church. These are the pastors, right? This is their staff meeting, okay? So these are the, the, the pastoral leaders of the church at Antioch. And it gives this list. So first is Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy that came down from Jerusalem. He's the son of encouragement. He is just a phenomenal rock star of the Christian church. 
phenomenal man that really came in and blessed and led Antioch in a great way. Next, it lists Simeon, who's also called Niger. Um, there is some speculation this could be actually the same Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Jesus when he was heading to Golgotha, right? So, again, huge, significant figure in the early church. Just a m- remarkable man with a tremendous history. Can you imagine your testimony being, I helped Jesus carry the cross that he was nailed to to save me? So, when that guy stands up and preaches, everyone's like, big name. Next, it names Lucius of Cyrene. You know who Lucius is? Me neither. Not a clue. No idea. Totally anonymous. He is not mentioned any other time in the Bible. Just a dude named Lucius. Then it says Manan. Manan's an interesting figure in that it says that he's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Who's Herod the Tetrarch? Herod is the guy who beheaded John the Baptist and mocked Jesus on his way to death. Right? Not a good guy. Right? Really, really, really bad guy. Obviously not a Christian. So, but it's interesting. So you have Herod who's seeing all of this, hearing the preaching of John the Baptist, hearing the preaching of Jesus, and mocks that and ridicules that and kills John the Baptist and is just a wicked man. But standing beside him is his lifelong best childhood friend who's hearing it all also. And while Herod is hearing it and it's just fallen off of his heart, he's not receiving any of it, Manan is sitting there and it is like water to his thirsty soul. He's hearing this message of John the Baptist of repentance. He's hearing the message of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and it is gripping him. And so, more than likely, this guy, Manan, grew up in a phenomenally rich family. He's best friends with one of the most influential players in the Roman Empire. And he turns all of that away, leaves all of that behind, so that he can be a Christian, follow Jesus, and ultimately become a pastor. And then the list ends with Saul, who we know ultimately becomes the Apostle Paul, going from the great persecutor to the great apostle. So you got this list. So they're gathered together. In verse 2, look what they're doing. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, we saw this earlier, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So as they're fasting, as they're praying, as they're worshiping, the Spirit of God speaks to them as a group and says, I want you to call out Barnabas and Saul for this work that I've called them to. If you were to back up to Acts chapter 9 when Saul is saved by Jesus, you see what that work is. He's called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He's called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's the work that he's called to do. And you see what happens as a result, verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The The interesting thing about verse 3 for me is, no one pushes back and says no. Right? So you have Barnabas and Saul. I mean, giants of the Christian faith. Phenomenal men of God. They stand up before the church and say, God has told us that Barnabas and Saul, they're leaving us to go do something else. If that was a Baptist church... People were like, no! San Lucius, nobody even knows who that guy is. Right? Not Barnabas, he's so encouraging. I love him. Right? Not Saul. He, I learn so much every time he teaches. 
please. You don't see that happening, though. God raises these men up and says, it's time to go. And everyone says yes and amen, prays over them, and sends them off. And you see what happens as a result. So as Paul and Barnabas are sent off, they're sent off. You see this story tracking out in the rest of chapter 13 and into 14. What's known as Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, In fact, if you have a Bible, you probably have a map on the back end with that, Paul's first missionary journey. But I'll show you what it is. So, So to the far right, where it says Syria, there's Antioch. That's where it all began. So Paul and Barnabas, they set out. They go down to Cyprus, then up to a region called Pamphylia. Then they go in through Galatia. They spend quite a bit of time in Galatia walking around. And then they come back through again, Pamphylia, and then sail on back into Antioch. And this is a significant trip for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the first really extensive missionary trip like this. It's setting the stage. They are, they are trendsetters. This idea of sending the gospel out to the ends of the earth, it, this is brand new. And so they're doing something Brand spanking new and setting the stage. Second, this trip is significant because where they go, they go, they spend time in Cyprus. That's ultimately where Paul is going to send uh, Titus to go down and minister. That's where you're going to get the book of Titus. They spend significant time up in Galatia. That's where you're going to get the book of Galatians, a book written to all of those cities up there. That's who the book of Galatians was written to. Significantly important trip. And what I want you to understand is this, that trip, that gave you books of the Bible, that set the stage for what it means to actually be a going missionary, that happened because of two things. Number one, a couple of men in a church were willing to stand up and say, I'll go. And second, that church was willing to stand up and say, we'll send you. The world shifted because a couple of guys said, we'll go. And a church said, we'll support you. We'll pray for you. We'll pay for it, we'll send you off with blessing, and we can't wait to hear you come back and tell us all the great things that God has done. What I want you to understand is the Bible is set on this premise. People going and churches sending. This is the point. This is how everything works, which gets us again back to our big idea. A church is not judged by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. How many people and resources and money and time and treasure and energy are we sending out to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth? This is who we're called to be. This is what we're called to do. So how do we do it? How do we be a church, it's a sending church. So I'm going to give you a few ideas, just some things to kind of kick around and uh, to get some handlebars to grab a hold of this thing, right? Uh, first is this. Every single one of us is called by God to live sent. Live sent. Uh, I tell you all the time, 
Cumberland County and in, in, in our area, wherever you live, that is not going to be reached because we, again, have the best ministries here and try to cram as many people on to this uh, facility as possible and in this building as possible. It's going to be reached because you go out and live as missionaries. When we're done in a few moments, I'm going to say, God bless you, have a great week, live sent. And you're going to go out understanding what that means is this. You go tomorrow to work, school, your neighborhood, where you play, where you shop. You do all the things that you typically do. Nothing necessarily about your life changes. You do all the normal things, but you do them with a completely different mindset and heart attitude, with a completely different vision. You're going not just as a person, you're going as a missionary. I show you this map a lot. I want to show it to you again. This is our area where we live, Greater Fayetteville area, and, and you see a bunch of red dots on there. If you're a member of Southview Baptist Church, your dress is a red dot on that. And what we tell you all the time is this, our desire is that you would own your dot. You would own your pen place. You own where you live. God sovereignly placed you in the neighborhood that you're in, in the job you're in, in the school you're in, for a reason. Live sent. Live as a missionary called by God for a greater purpose. Do all the things you typically do, but do them in a way that has a different reason, a different purpose behind it. You're seeking to live sent. For my kids growing up playing sports, I always coached my kids for a couple of reasons. One, I'm going to be there yelling. I might as well have a whistle and do it legit. And, and secondly, that was an opportunity for us as a family to seek to engage with other families we never would have connected with. We never would have known. We never would have connected with. A chance for us to Spend some time with them, minister to them, get to know the kids, our kids know their kids, and by God's grace, maybe see us minister to them, see them come to faith in Jesus, be able to disciple them in the Lord. Like it was just soccer. And they're little kids, so it's not even good soccer. But it had a bigger purpose. There was something greater we were wanting to accomplish in it. Same thing for you. When you go to work, when you go to your neighborhood, when you go to your school, when you go to where you shop and play, go there with a bigger purpose. You are living sent. Being sent is more than just you moving away to do you know, ministry work. Living sent, being sent is you leaving this room and leaving, living sent right here in our community. This is what we're called to be. This is what we're called to do. Second, every one of us is called to help send out. This is where prayer support and financial support come in. There are people that God is going to call to go away, and we'll chat about that in just a second. There are people that God's going to call out, and we want to support them. Support them with our prayers, support them financially. Think about, have you ever seen... On TV or maybe even in your career, you've done this. If someone had an accident, their, their car went down into a ravine, or someone had a hiking accident, you had to, someone had to go down on a rope to rescue them, what happens? Someone goes down on the rope to rescue, and someone else stands on top holding the rope. 
This is a view of the church, ascending church in missions. There are people that we send down to do the work, and the rest of us stand up top holding the rope saying, we will make sure you don't fall. We're going to be here praying for you, financially supporting you, sending you the resources you need. Whatever we can do for you, we're going to do everything we can to hold the rope. Everyone in this room is called to hold the rope. Hold the rope in your prayers, praying for those who have been sent out. Hold the rope in your giving. See, you talk a lot about giving. You said it like 14,000 times in this sermon. All you want is my money. It's not all I want, but absolutely I want it. You know why? Because God gave it to you for something bigger than you spending it on stupid stuff. God gave it to you so that you can use it to see the gospel advanced and kingdom investments being made. Use it for God's glory. That's an investment that is going to be a return, a high return. Use it for God's glory. Every one of us in this room is called to help send out. And then third, some of us must be obedient to go. All of us are called to live sent wherever we are. All of us are called to help send out. And some of us are called to go, and we got to be obedient to that. I'm going to give you three kind of categories of going. Short-term, medium-term, and long-term. All right? Short-term is this, a week to ten days. Right? You take a trip somewhere in the country or the world for about a week to ten days for the purpose of sharing the gospel, ministering to people in Jesus' name. I firmly believe that 90% of the people in this room should absolutely do that. You should absolutely do that. Now, there are some people in this room that have limitations where you truly can't do that. That's not something you'd love to do, but you just can't. Then great. You, you, you focus hard on helping send out. But there are a lot that you absolutely can go. You just don't. And I want to encourage you to think differently about that and allow God to speak to your heart. God has called you to go. And here's a very simple, easy way for you to spend week, week and a half out somewhere in this country, somewhere in the world, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've told you my vision is that we would get to the point where 40 weeks a year we have someone in our church somewhere in the world sharing the gospel on a short-term trip. The only way that can happen is if y'all go. Only way we can send is if you go. I firmly believe every person in this room, almost, I'll give the exception, I know the people that can't, maybe you're under house arrest and can't leave the county or something, I don't know. But almost everybody in this room can go. And we can find something that fits you. I know you're like, well, I, like, I can't do like serious manual labor. We're not going to ask you to re-roof a house, okay. We can find something that you can do. One of the most significant trips of my life. I took a group of teenagers to Vancouver, Canada. And all we did for a week was prayer walk. All we did for a week was prayer walk. And we came home and the church was like, so what would you do? Like we walked a lot and prayed. Like, well, that's a lot of money for nothing. And it wasn't. 
It was powerful for a couple of reasons. One, we helped a brand new church start because we set the groundwork in prayer. Two, out of the eight kids I took on that trip, three of them are now full-time in missionary. And they point back to that week as the week where God stirred their heart to say, I want to do this for the rest of my life. It can be a simple trip. But man, they're powerful. They're just powerful. So everyone can do a short-term trip. Second, what's called a medium-term trip. Now, a medium-term trip is about a year to two years. And I know you're thinking, that does not sound medium. A medium-term trip is about a year to two years. And I want to focus in just for a second. Specifically, listen to me just for a minute. Medium-term trips are really good for people who are at life transition points. I believe... Every single Christian high school graduate, every single Christian college graduate, and every single Christian retiree should at least set it before God and ask him if he wants you to spend a year or two on the mission field before you go to the next chapter in your life. I do not believe every Christian high school graduate, college graduate, and retiree is going to be called by God to go. But I believe every one of you should at least ask him. I firmly 100% believe that. The reason God has not told you to go is because you haven't actually asked him. The brother of Jesus, James, in the book named after him, says there are things that you do not have because you just haven't asked him for it. So often, we don't ever ask for these things. We go, nope, God hasn't done that. Nope. Well, I guess not. You haven't even asked him. I believe that you should do that. I believe that you should do that. I believe every high school graduate, college graduate, retiree, anytime you're at a transition point in life where you're rolling into the next stage, I think you should at least ask God, is this something you want me to do? For some, he'll say no. For some, he'll say yes. And for our young people, our high school students and our college students, I am well on record in saying this. I am pushing hard for the Mormonization of our church without the whole believe a lie and go to hell thing. But 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who set, off, who, who set college aside and set career aside and set military service aside because they're going to go two years to go to the other end of the country or other end of the world to propagate a lie? We can't do better than that. We actually have the truth. For many of us, you are going to the next stage in life solely because the world has told you you're supposed to do that. I thought you were a follower of Jesus. Why don't you ask him what he wants you to do? And let him tell you. And if he says, hey, go to the next thing, then you go to the next thing. But at least ask him. And then that leads us to our last point, long term. And by long term, I mean full-time Christian ministry is what you do for your job. Your job is to be a full-time, in full-time Christian service. And I believe there are people in this room that God is calling to do that. You just may not know that yet. I firmly believe God desires to use the people of this church and in this community for full-time Christian service. To be pastors, church planters, missionaries, whatever. I mean, just on a practical level, we talked about this, but I, I got to bring it up again. On a practical level, think about this. 
We live in a city where thousands of young men are going to be told they have to have another job now. Right? If you have a long military career, right, you're in for 20 years, you're retiring out of what, late 30s, early 40s? Right? I mean, you're at the age where everybody else's career is starting to do this, and you're being told, oh, roadblock, got to find another exit. And my call for you is this, specifically for our men serving in the military. As you're getting to the point of transitioning out, whether that's after your first contract or you're rolling up past 20 years, if you're transitioning out, I believe every Christian man should at least set before God, do you want me? to serve in full-time ministry afterwards? Is this what you want me to do? Again, for a lot, the answer is going to be no. He's got something else planned for you, and praise God, go forward for that. That's not, a, that's not plan B. That's not less. That's not JV. That's nothing like that. We need godly men serving in a variety of fields in this world. But can I just be super-duper honest for a second? And I mean, I got a mic. What are you going to do? There is no reason in the world, there is no reason on earth that Fayetteville, North Carolina, and Cumberland County, and the churches of this area should not be leading the world in men being sent out on mission. There is no reason on God's green earth we shouldn't be the leader. We live in a community where for the next decade, a couple ten thousand Christian young men are going to go, i got to have something else to do with my life. What do you think? And there are no churches standing up going, I think you should pray about that. Nobody's doing that. We should lead the world in men being sent out as church planters and missionaries. Everyone should be looking to our community and say, do you have someone you can send to us? We should lead the world here. And it is my desire that Southview Baptist Church be a part of that. We will be judged not by how many people we can seat in this room, but how many people we can send out. Which brings me to my last point of application. I'm going to ask our band to come up. If you are stirred in your heart for anything, short term, just a week or so, medium term, I'd like to hear more about that. I don't really understand what that means. Can you explain what you're talking about? I'd like to talk more about that. Or long term, I feel like God might be calling to the ministry. The thought of it makes me want to throw up, but I think he might be doing that. I want you to text the word go. It's not going to sign you up for anything. It's not going to obligate you for anything. Short-term trips. Again, other than the three people in this room that are physically or legally incapable of doing that, there isn't a single person in this room who shouldn't be saying, yeah, I'm ready to do that. Just let me know when. Medium term. Man, this is an underused, vital part of pushing forward the gospel mission. People at transition points who'd be willing to give up a year or two. To see the Lord do a great work on the mission field. That is a vitally underused tool for kingdom advancement. I want us to lean into that. And long term, full time, this is what God's called me to do. 
Again, there's no reason in the world why we should not have an inordinately high number of men in our church called to do that. Just no reason. I believe that we should, whatever the national average is, we should be well beyond that. That's what we're leading to. That's what we want. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. I want to close this out. And again, if this is something that you'd like to talk more about, hear more about, learn more about, text GO. Just text GO. We'll get that. We'll reach out to you. We'll just, let's just hear your story. Let's just hear what God may be doing. Maybe it ends up turning out to be nothing. Who knows? But at least is your yes on the table. I'm willing to do anything that God wants me to do. Which is the invitation for you here today. You ready? For every person here. Is your yes on the table? I will do anything that God tells me to do. It's not a matter of me saying yes or no. I am wanting to do anything that God tells me to do. I have already put my yes down, and I'm just waiting on God to tell me what I'm saying yes to. This is how he desires for us to live our lives. We already say yes, and we're just waiting for what the yes was for. Is your yes on the table? For most of us in this room, that's going to mean being willing to say yes to a short-term trip. For some of us in this room, that's going to mean being willing to say yes to a a year, 18-month, two-year trip. For some of us in this room, that's going to mean saying yes to giving my life to this. This is what I do now. This is who I am. God's called me to go. We're going to stand and sing in a moment. Lifting our voices to the fact that God has given us 10,000 reasons plus to worship Him. And as you're singing this about how glorious and amazing God is and how He has given you just incalculable reasons to worship Him, I want you to think about the fact that all those reasons to worship Him are also the exact same reasons to go. God has saved you, He has redeemed you, He has made you new. He has cleaned up that busted old life you used to have. He's reconciled your marriage. He's gotten your kids' hearts. He has done amazing things. And all of those things are reasons why we need to go and tell other people, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done for me. This is what he wants to do for you. Calling people to believe by faith in him. As we sing about the 10,000 reasons to worship him, these are also 10,000 reasons to go. Don't say no to him. Let's be ascending people. God, I pray that you would stir this up in us, that we would be ascending people, a going people, and that by your grace we'll be able to see phenomenal things happen in your name. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Stand with us as we celebrate Christ and the supremacy of our Lord. Let's sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul.
worship you. And as we worship you, God, as we set you up as our highest treasure and joy and love, we believe that as we do that more and more and more, you're going to call us to go say no to the things of this world and be sent out to proclaim your goodness and your fame. So I pray, God, that you would raise up worshipers here. And as we're worshiping you, adoring you, reverencing you, setting you as our highest source of joy, we believe you're going to send us out. So do this in us, God, for your glory. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. You are officially sent.